chapter forty one of geographical reader europe by frank g carpenter this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by betty b chapter forty one northern italy we have left venice and are riding on the railroad through the rich plains of lombardy on the north we can see the mighty snow-capped wall of the alps which shuts italy off from the other countries of europe and not far to the southward is the long range of the apennines which extends down through the peninsula clear to its foot we are travelling over some of the richest soil of all europe so rich that it produces two crops of grain every year and in the irrigated portions as much as ten crops of grass the plain of lombardy is the basin of several large rivers such as the po and the adige it is twice as large as massachusetts and about half of it is composed of irrigated lands we ride for hours through rice fields through grain fields and plantations of cotton passing many orchards and vineyards there at the right of the track they are cutting the grass the men are mowing it down with scythes and women and boys are turning it over with long poles while others are raking the dry hay together there are no mowing machines many of the fields are spaded and hoed and the ploughing is done with old-fashioned wooden ploughs tipped with iron the chief business of italy is farming the country has a great deal of excellent land there are rich valleys on both sides of the apennines and many plains upon which millions of cattle sheep goats and donkeys are pastured there are vineyards which produce grapes so abundantly that italy ranks next to france as the chief wine-producing country of the world and there are orchards of olives oranges and lemons in almost all parts of the peninsula much of the land is owned in large tracts and let on shares in some districts the people who live in the mountains come down in families and bands to work in the harvest fields each band has its own leader who makes all the arrangements as to wages and who tells the men women and children just what they shall do the wages are very low good-sized boys and girls getting but a few cents a day but suppose we leave our train at the station and visit one of the villages to find out how the farmers live the houses are of rough stone and mortar and in some cases covered with stucco the smaller houses have but two rooms a kitchen on the ground floor and a bedroom above the floor is of brick stone or earth and everything is of the rudest description the window-panes are of paper and the furniture of many a house consists of a bench two or three chairs and a table we look about in vain for beds the children sleep on the floor of the kitchen and the grown people on great sacks of straw laid on the plank floor of the room above that brick ledge at the side of the room is the cook-stove those little basin-like holes in the top are for charcoal and the draught comes up through the holes in the side they are much like the stoves of the greeks the baking is usually done in an oven outside the house and such families as do not have ovens take their bread to the public bakeries as we saw them doing in greece the italian peasants live plainly their food is chiefly bread and a cornmeal mush called polenta with now and then a bit of meat or some coarse macaroni the farmer often goes out to work after eating only a piece of dry bread at eight o'clock he stops for another meal of dry bread and at eleven comes home for his breakfast of cornmeal mush and perhaps some vegetable soup 
at night he has a dinner of cornmeal soup or bean soup with some rice or macaroni as a rule he has meat only on feast days but he eats plenty of onions garlic and lettuce with olive oil as a dressing in some parts of italy the people eat a great quantity of chestnuts roasting them or grinding them to a meal and mixing them with flour for their bread the nuts are not so sweet as our chestnuts but they are three times as large many are bigger than horse chestnuts the houses we have described are among the poorest of italy but there are thousands like them there are also thousands of country houses much better where each family has several rooms and there are houses still larger owned by well-to-do peasants there are castles and palaces belonging to the nobility and large tenement houses in the cities where many families are crowded together each having but one or two rooms the most of the peasants are poor and their homes are little better than hovels as we travel from one part of italy to another we discover that the peasants dress differently in the different sections in lombardy they wear cotton clothing while at work in the fields many go barefooted and some wear wooden shoes not unlike those we saw in holland and belgium on sundays and feast days the young men wear clothing of wool mixed with silk many of them have jackets and knee breeches of cotton velvet hats of soft felt and thick leather shoes at such times the women wear dresses of wool or in some rare cases silk an italian woman's greatest ambition is to own a silk gown in many places the women wear square pieces of embroidered muslin on their heads instead of bonnets or hats and some have bead necklaces of gold silver or gilt the italian peasants are very good-looking the most of them having dark hair and eyes and dark rosy faces many of the poorer italians carry on some kind of work in their homes the people are very artistic and the men do beautiful carving and painting they also manufacture all sorts of small articles the women knit spin and weave and even the little children do their share of such work how would you like to raise silkworms there are more than a half a million people engaged in this business in italy and of these many thousands are little boys and girls italy produces more than one hundred and fifty million pounds of silk cocoons every year and it has a large industry in silk weaving and reeling we pass by groves of mulberry trees as we go on with our journey it is upon the leaves of these trees that the silkworms feed and the soil of northern italy is just right for growing them we see little children of six and eight years gathering the leaves and spreading them upon the trays where the worms are the worms bite off bits of the leaves and eat them in some places thousands of worms are feeding and as we stand and look on we can hear the chopping of their jaws as they cut up the green leaves after feeding in this way for a time the worms are ready to spin their cocoons they draw the silk out of their bodies and wrap it around and around themselves in an egg-shaped cocoon each making a little house for itself where it hopes to lie until it comes out a butterfly after the cocoons are made the people boil them to kill the worms inside and then unwind the silk and by doubling it again and again and twisting it together they make the thicker thread from which silk cloth is woven italy as we know has long been noted for its silks for you may remember we have already heard how the silk weavers of italy went to lyon france 
during the middle ages to make silk at the present time the best silks of europe are made in france and germany and millions of pounds of italian cocoons are shipped there every year to be turned into silks we see more people wheeling silk as we go on toward the slopes of the alps and to the beautiful italian lakes and we find great quantities of beautiful silk goods in the stores of milan and genoa we are delighted with milan for it has such a business air about it that it reminds us of our american cities it is situated in the heart of the rich plain of lombardy where it can easily be reached from northern europe by the railroad tunnels through the alps so that it has become a great commercial centre it now contains more than a half a million people and is one of the best business cities of europe it has fine buildings of marble as well as big stores broad streets and beautiful parks its people are good-looking and are noted for their wealth and fine dressing the milanese are very proud of their city and especially of their cathedral which is one of the most beautiful in the whole world the milan cathedral is a great gothic structure made of the purest white marble beautifully carved there are marble statues on every part of it so many indeed that we can count several thousands and then leave off in despair we climb up the four hundred and ninety-four steps of the tower for the magnificent view which we there get of the city the alps and the plain of lombardy and then take train for genoa the birthplace of columbus we see the monument of columbus as we leave the railroad station it is a white marble statue standing near an anchor with a marble figure kneeling before it and other figures representing america geography religion strength and wisdom sitting about columbus was born in genoa in fourteen thirty six he was the son of a wool comber but his father gave him a good education and he began life as a sailor he had already made a number of voyages when he applied to genoa for money that he might attempt to discover a new route to india by sailing to the westward but he was refused he then laid his plans before the courts of spain portugal and england and finally persuaded king ferdinand and queen isabella of spain to give him the three small ships with which he found the new world genoa in the time of columbus was a very great city it was a rival of venice and its people owned numerous islands in the mediterranean they had their factories and business houses in constantinople asia minor and along the black sea and their ships went to all parts of the known world genoa has an excellent harbor and it is to-day an important port and a great manufacturing centre it is so beautiful that its people call it la superba or the superb city the land about the harbor rises in hills which are backed by the apennines the houses cover the hills and in our walks about through the streets we seem to be always climbing up or going down the most of the buildings are large many of them were erected as palaces by the rich nobles and merchants of ancient genoa and many are now divided up into apartments so that a score of families may live in one old palace in most of the buildings the first and second floors are given up to offices and stores while the floors higher up are the dwellings some of the streets are very narrow winding about between walls a hundred feet high with breaks at the cross streets the people who live in such streets have no gardens and they stretch wires or ropes from building to building 
and from window to window to dry their washing upon them so that at times we have to walk carefully to avoid the dripping water we drive out to the aquasola the great park of genoa and afterward to the campo santo its strange cemetery where many of the monuments are statues representing the dead as they looked while alive we spend some time in the shops admiring the fine silks and velvets and the silver and gold filigree work for which the city is noted and then take a train for rome stopping at pisa leghorn and florence on the way at pisa we see the wonderful leaning tower and at leghorn watch the making of hats and straw braid at florence we visit the great cathedral the bell tower of giotto and the celebrated picture galleries which are among the finest of the world we stroll along the river arno which flows through the town and make excursions into the fertile plains of tuscany driving through vast vineyards and groves of olives and oranges the scenery is very beautiful and we regret we cannot spend months exploring the country we make an excursion however to the tiny republic of san marino situated on a rocky hill in the apennines about a half mile from the sea this republic is perhaps the smallest of the world it is only twenty-four miles square and it has a population of only about eight thousand but its inhabitants have governed themselves for hundreds of years while the other countries of europe have been governed by kings End of chapter 41